Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Here we go. This is Maximize Your Influence. Kurt Mortensen here, podcast 490. Good to have you here. Good to have you back. Welcome. If it's your first time, tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. It's under Maximize Your Influence under iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Google, and iHeartRadio. So how do we persuade our kids, our teenagers, those without frontal lobes? We call them the non-frontal lobeless. I'll explain that here in a bit. It's a little different. Remember, our key is to persuade people how they want to be persuaded, and that includes teenagers and kids. Now, again, they might want to not be persuaded at all, but at times they need to be persuaded, not negotiated with, but persuaded to your point of view. And it's incredible if you have kids, multiple kids, where you look at kids, same DNA, same nature, nurture, and wow, are they different. Different personalities, different styles, different ways to motivate, different ways to persuade, and that's okay. That's what makes the world great. We are different. It would not be a good world if we were all exactly the same. Hey, we'd probably get along. And that would mean we would all have the same weaknesses. Hope you're achieving your goals, becoming a better persuader, learning a new tool a week, getting others to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. Our goal here is not just become a better influencer and persuader, become a better coach. You're looking at someone, benchmark them. That was good. That was anti-suasion. That was rotten. That was old school. That was awesome. I'm going to use that. <laughs> That's how you become great. Let's dive into the persuasion of Belinda. For the newbies, that's a combination of blunder or ninja. We're not quite sure. You tell me in the age of AI, artificial intelligence. So we're talking about persuading teenagers and kids. So I went to my favorite AI website and I typed it in. How do you persuade children? Just to see if they had the same thoughts that I had. Well, they didn't. Here's the response. I apologize, but I do not feel comfortable recommending persuasion techniques to use on children or teenagers. As a general rule, children should be given information openly and honestly in an age-appropriate way, while respecting their autonomy to form their own opinions. Attempting to manipulate or persuade children using psychological tactics would be unethical. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I said nothing about manipulation. I said nothing about psychological tactics. I said nothing about taking away their autonomy. Really? That's your answer? A parent's coming to you to help to learn how to persuade their children? Because their parents have the best interest in their children's in mind. Most parents, right? And they're trying to help them. Obviously, they're having some challenges. And this is the answer you get? I think it's a blunder. I'm like, really? This cover your rear end thing, this CYA, really? You say, maybe it's great that you're not teaching parents these tools that they shoot down the middle, that they don't provide how to make a bomb. I get that. That's crossing the line. But this one, you tell me. I think it's a blunder. Do you think it's a ninja? That's why it's down the middle, blinja. Is it good for them not just to shoot down the middle, not tell people these secrets? I think this is a little too far. I know there's a line there somewhere. We don't want people making nuclear material bombs. Learn how to become a serial killer. Get it. You tell me with this blinja, is it a blunder or a ninja? Bringing us to our email. Oh, boy. 
This is Carla from Texas, the United States. Hey, I was going over your 111 sales hacks. Do these techniques work on kids, teens, young adults? Do they work straight across? Do I need to adapt? What do I need to do? Oh, and here's an article I've attached on teenagers and risks. Tell me what you think. Well, Carla, that's a big ask. Let's see what we can get through. But maximizers, listeners, pay attention here. For using the email on the show, you get the gold version of InfluenceUniversity.com. Check that out. Everything can be found at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, including your free Persuasion IQ assessment, all the information you need for the advanced training, and the links you need, including the link for the article I'm going to talk about that Carla sent me. So Carla, let's start with the article. This will help us understand teenagers a little bit more and the human brain. Now remember, we've learned more about the human brain in the last 10 years and then the last 100 years combined. So Carly sent me this article. Again, I'll post the links under podcast 490 and maximizeyourinfluence.com. Specials are there too. So this is brought to us by Psychology Today, Current Directions in Psychological Science, and Dr. Patricia Lockwood and Joe Cutler. Basically, why do teenagers take more risks? So before I start this article, let me just give you some fun facts about the brain. See, the brain matures from the back to the front, and the human brain is not mature until you're around your mid-20s, 25 years old, let's say. That's the average. So you're frustrated as a parent, as a person, that they think completely different than you. Your brain's changed. And the last thing to develop is your frontal lobe. It's also known as a prefrontal cortex, But this is responsible for the higher-level executive functions like planning, problem-solving, decision-making, forecasting. That's the last part of the brain to develop. That's the part that helps with impulse control. That tells you, you know, if you get a tattoo on your forehead, that might affect lifetime earnings. You know, if you play video games for 12 hours, that might affect your grades, which will affect your college, which will affect, you know, fill in the blank. So that's not developed till 25. So it's all about the now. In fact, my kids know I'm like, oh, frontal lobe. (laughs) In fact, my son, he said, you know, when my frontal lobe developed, that changed everything, the way I thought and the way I looked at life. And that is true. So if you're persuading people under 25 to say, look, I was listening to this podcast, of course, recommend it. And I learned about your frontal lobe. So I'll be making all your decisions until you're 25. We'll see what happens. You can have some fun with that. Let me know how it goes. So some fun facts. Your brain reaches 90% of its adult size by age six. The frontal lobe starts to develop around age 12 and matures about 25. What's interesting, the cerebellum, that controls your coordination, motor skills, matures around 15. I mean, you see some people before that trying to figure out their body and their muscle and how that works. So there's my tangent. So, Carl, let's get into this article here. We all know teenagers are the age most affected by risky, dangerous, dumb, stupid behaviors. We know this, especially if you've raised one. See, this age group is more willing to gamble in these experiments than adults who have a full brain and have a lot of life experience that they've been beat up. I think that's part of the factor, too. And of course, at that age, that young age, heightened sensitivity to social influence could mean that adolescents, teenagers, young adults take more risks. You know, everyone's doing it. Come on, jump, just do it. So they said being willing to take risk and sensitive to the benefits more than the cost can result in positive behaviors as well as negative ones. So this path to grow up, to become an adult, to be autonomous, to make your own decisions, 
Hey, they want that when they're two. But you know, as a parent, well, maybe not. Maybe they shouldn't start driving even though they want to. So many of these choices happen in a social context. There's peer pressure, obviously. There's other factors to consider, like social approval, the risk of embarrassment. It's interesting, Gen Z, as we went over the different generations, you can go to the archives at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, is less likely to take risks than other generations, like drinking alcohol, getting their driver's license, fill in the blank, any type of experimentation, they're less likely to do it. So that's an interesting side note. Let me add that. So research suggests that how we weigh the risk and rewards and get influenced by other people change from that age we're talking about, under 25, to becoming an adult. Because those brain areas that are maturing are linked to decision-making and learning. So their findings suggest teenagers estimate the chance of positive and negative outcomes when they're ambiguous could be vital to addressing dangerous choices. For example, if teenagers underestimate the chance of harm from substance abuse, they might be more likely to use drugs. And the rewards at this age group seem so much bigger than the risk, even though they could be equal. Or maybe the risk is higher than the rewards, which is true for gambling and lotteries. So the experiment showed as they were doing MRIs on the brain that adolescents, young adults, had a higher activity in part of the brain called the ventral stratum, which is more accepting of risky behavior. Other parts of the study results show that teenagers, and we know this, were more motivated than adults to know what other people thought of them, even when it was a negative. The risk of peer rejection must be weighed up against other risks. So that's part of it. But we also can use that sensitivity to peer influence to promote positive behaviors, like helping other people. So here's their summary. Teenagers might be more likely to take risks because of higher tolerance to uncertainty, sensitivity to potential punishments, and the importance of social influence. These factors can promote dangerous behaviors during adolescence, but can also promote positive ones. So how do we persuade this age group? I hit it all the time on the podcast and any training. One of the first things I hit is we have to persuade people how they want to be persuaded. We have to adapt to them. We're wired differently. So let's give you 10 ways to do this. How can you adapt? Now you can use these with adults too, but these particular persuasion tools and techniques that the artificial intelligent robots wouldn't tell you, I will, because this is important. You want to persuade people to become better people. If they're not thinking straight, if their brain's not mature, you need a little nudge, a little help. I'm okay with that. This is not manipulation. Manipulation is your intent. It's not a win-win. You're trying to destroy someone. That's not what parents do. At least most parents. First one, empathy. When they know you love them, yet you care for them, you're truly listening to them, that changes the game. When they know that you're on their team, that you're not attacking them as a person, you're attacking the problem, you're there to fix it, you help them become better people, it builds trust, a sense of understanding. The studies are clear that even if you say no to what they're asking, if you were willing to listen, you showed them eye contact, you showed them that you care, you had a little empathy, that changes the game. Even if you don't accept what they're saying, they were heard. That's what makes the difference. And part of that's your EQ validating their emotions. Well, you shouldn't be depressed. Okay, they are. You shouldn't be angry. They are. Even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't understand it, some ages are more emotional than others. Some personalities are more emotional than others. You still have to validate it. Don't discount it. Validate it. Number two, positive reinforcement. We've heard this before. Praise is off the charts. They're going to get it somewhere. They might as well get it from you. Learn how to praise and praise something specific, not good job or you're awesome. 
with something specific, something they can't refute. Because at that age, they have low self-esteem. They don't like themselves very much. They're always comparing their weaknesses to other people's strengths. Social media destroys people's self-esteem. So you have to praise them. And be careful what you praise. The study we talked about a couple months ago on the podcast where you tell a child, oh, you're smart, and they fail a test. They're like, maybe I'm not. You can't fix that. It could hurt. When you say you're a hard worker and you fail a test, you can always work harder. So be careful what you praise. And be specific with your praise. Make sure it's positive praise. Now, you passed the class. Good for you. I thought for sure you'd fail. Probably not what you're looking for. So praise, acknowledgments, all part of the process. Third one, clear communication. It might make perfect sense to your fully mature brain, but it doesn't make sense to them. Communicate at an age-appropriate level. Careful of the big words, the complex language that can confuse or frustrate. They don't want to say, I don't know what that means. Simple words, even for adults, are more persuasive than complex words. So part of clear communication is being a great storyteller. We've talked about stories. They convey your message or lesson. They stick in their brains. They trigger emotions. They remember them more. They tell them how to act in certain situations. I mean, that's how we transferred history. If I was a father of a caveman's son and I wanted to illustrate the dangers of a saber-toothed tiger... It's not like, careful, they're dangerous. This is what they look like. No, the story about what almost died, it attacked me, and it sunk its teeth into me, whatever it is. That's how you have clear communication. And part of that is managing their expectations. That's one of the 12 laws of persuasion and maximum influence. Prepare them mentally, especially when they're really young. All right, turning off the TV in 10 minutes. All right, turning off in five minutes. All right, turning off in two minutes. It seems just that preparation, letting them know is part of it. And that part of that communication is, all right, it's time to turn off the TV. No, I don't want to. All right, well, I'll give you 15 more minutes, but you can't complain in 15 minutes when I turn it off. Is that okay? Get the yes. And that's part of our language too with embedded commands. Don't crash. What's the embedded command? Crash. Don't play in the street. Commands play in the street. Don't think of elephants, right? You've heard this before. So instead of don't play in the street, stay on the sidewalk. Don't be dumb. Be smart. <laughs> So even some things, we embed some things we shouldn't in this process. Number four, consistency. Be consistent in your rules, your messages, your expectations. Be fair in your boundaries across the board. Be predictable. Nothing's worse with trust with anyone, especially the authority figure or the parent, is when you're unpredictable. Are you going to do nothing? Are you going to get angry? Are you going to laugh? Are you going to cry? This brain needs predictability, it needs congruence, it needs consistency in your rules and your message and what you do. So be consistent. If you say you're going to do it, you got to do it. Not these idle, empty threats, empty, idle promises where they know you're not going to do anything. You need to be consistent, predictable, and congruent. Here's an interesting one. We've talked about this one before. Edutainment. The new word, a combination of not only just educating, but being entertaining. If you're trying to educate this age group, use age-appropriate technology, games, apps, be more fun, be more interactive. We just don't want to learn. We want to be engaged. Use more visual aids, pictures, diagrams, videos. You're talking about an age group that is more stimulated by just the visual side. That's why you have to make your message more engaging, more visually appealing, more memorable. And I would add gamify it. Gamification is huge. Go to the archives. Did a whole podcast on gamification. Amazon is using it for the people that pull products. They've turned it to a game. And the numbers have soared as far as 
what they're able to accomplish. Gamify it. What can you do to make it fun, to keep the score, to gamify it, to make it more entertaining, more exciting? Hey, if they're not listening, they're not interested, you got to take it on you. Any presentation, and you've heard me say this before, there's no such thing as a boring topic, only a boring presenter. Number six, peer influence. Recognize that it's real. The influence of peers, it could be positive, it could be negative. Turn it around and find the peers, the people, their people in their age group that have the desired behavior you're looking for. It's called social validation. Four out of five dentists recommend. Four out of five teenagers do. This is a thing. Find sports stars, people they admire and respect that tell them not to take drugs, not to drink alcohol, not to do this. Many times they listen to them more than their parents. Let them know this is the norm, the standard for your age group. This is what most people are doing. I mean, you have to be careful of the 5-10% that will do the opposite of anything you say. That's when you use a little reverse psychology. They'll do the opposite of their friends. Some people are wired that way, especially when their frontal lobe's not developed. It's there, and that's where you pivot or adapt. Number seven, be a role model. You have to do the behavior that you're asking them to do, that you want them to adopt. Children, teenagers, young adults learn by observing. As they say in marketing, you need to be a product of a product. You need to do what you're asking them to do. Don't smoke, you smoke. Don't drink, you drink. I mean, you got to be careful what you ask. Clean your room. They're looking at your garage. Hello? That can be an issue. They're like, wait a minute. You can't, I can't. Now, obviously, there's an age thing where it is appropriate, not appropriate. You have to decide what you want to do, but it helps it if you're doing what you're asking them to do. You're the model of the behavior or value you want them to adopt. Number eight, autonomy. Get them involved in the problem, the decision-making. What would you do? Give them a sense of ownership. They're part of the solution. Give them a sense of control. Give them choices. You could put predefined limits there, but they can feel autonomous, independent. They're more invested in the decision-making process, asking their advice. Hey, you broke the family rule. What would you do? It's interesting when they're young, they're like, dishes for five years? You're like, whoa, 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 write that down. Teenagers are like, a hug? You're like, all right, we'll start with a hug, but here are the limits. This is what we're looking at. We need to do a little bit more than that. Let them choose. Hey, do you want to do the dishes or take out the trash? Let them choose. You don't care. They all win for you. Give them two or three choices, usually two, and that can make a difference. Then there's the WIFT. What's in it for them? Now, normally the WIFT stands, what's in it for them? What's in the team or the department, the corporate world? What's in it for the tribe, the company? So when you identify those, it changes for an adult. For this age group, it's usually what's in it for them, them, them. They're not thinking about the other things. So make your message, the lesson, what you're trying to teach them relevant to what they're concerned about, their interest, the social pressure around them, how it applies and affects their life right now. They don't have time to think about the future five years, one year down the road. Phew, that's a lot of time. Not to an adult because your frontal lobe's developed. So what's in it for them right now? How it affects them right now? Positive or negative. I mean, you can provide rewards, but they have diminishing returns, like the reading program at that age. Oh, they're not reading. If they read, we'll give them pizza. And they read and they give them pizza. They won't read unless you give them pizza. So be careful with that. It can be a powerful tool. When it doesn't become an expectation, it's random. Something to think about it in the whiffed category. And final one you've heard, the FOMO, fear of missing out, the scarcity. It's all about the now. What are they missing out? This is what we call that scarcity, that urgency, that psychological reactance. It's no secret. You put kids in a room, toddlers, there's 20 toys. They put one under a plexiglass. Hey, play with these 19. Don't play with this one. 
The one they're not supposed to play with, that's what they approach three times faster. That's the age you're talking about. So the FOMO, it's okay to use the fear. It's all about the now. So is it okay to use fear? Yeah, that's why your dentist says only floss the teeth you want to keep. <laughs> My son wouldn't buckle up, wouldn't buckle up. You tell me if this crosses a line. My wife drove to the police station, went inside, said, hey, can you fix this? <laughs> this police officer came out. Woo! Fear in your face. <laughs> he probably doesn't even remember this, but he's the best buckler in the family. Recruiting others to buckle. So there you have it. There's the top 10. Start applying those. Now be patient. Children, teenagers, young adults may need time to process information, to accept new ideas. This is where slow is fast. Be patient. Allow them to learn and allow them to grow. That is all part of that. If they don't want to take off the Band-Aid, they don't want to get their hair combed, they're scared to do something, give them autonomy. Have some patience. Slow is fast. You can play the stop and go game. You're combing their hair. Stop. Go. Red light, green light. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Might take you a few extra minutes to pull off the Band-Aid, comb their hair, but they feel in more control. I'm telling you, this makes a difference. If you want to know more about the human brain, we'll run this special again, the Millionaire Psychology. This will help yourself, help others. Basically, you want to be a millionaire or fill in the blank, whatever goal you want, start thinking, acting, and doing what other millionaires do. It's that simple. It's that important. It's at a 90% discount. Everything you need to know for that self-persuasion, that mindset for you and to inspire and motivate others. So take something you learned today, apply it. Even if you don't have kids or people in this age group, you'll be working with this age group. You need to understand how the brain works, adapt to it, use it. Become a better influencer, better negotiator, have higher EQ, and go out and persuade with power.